And it's based, the, the series is based on 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, in as much as Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, if God doesn't sway us. You know, sometimes you plan something and then you show up on Sunday and God says, uh, take a short lift. But God willing... We're going, to, we're going to look at the origin of the fight, because God is saying, fight the good fight. We're going to look at the origin of the fight. We're going to look at the location of the fight. And we're going to look at, we're also going to look at the weapons that are available to us for the fight. And so my job in the first week is to look at the origin of the fight. But really, it's to set the stage for what's going to come. So there may, no, there may be no conclusion uh, today. Like, there might not be a conclusion. There might be... Uh, we'll see what the Lord does this morning. Um, so the premise of when somebody says fight the good fight is that you're in some type of battle, correct? That you're in some type of conflict. And so, that is, so the, the premise of this series is that we are in, con in conflict. That as soon as you are born, you inherit or are born into some form or other of conflict. And so some of you might, you know, look through your lives and say, no, really in conflict, I'm good, I'm good. So you might need a little bit of uh, convincing. So in order to help convince you that we are actually born into conflict and we are engaged in conflict, we're going to start today by playing a game. And uh, in playing this game, I want to give you the rules because, you know, we have to set the rules. Some people intrinsically like to cheat. So I want to get that <laughs> I want to get that out of the way. So the rules of the game is called Would You Rather. I think many of you have played it on the internet. Would you rather? Okay. Here are my rules for the game. You have to choose. There's no abstention here. Don't put it yet. <laughs> yes, just yes, yeah, stay there. So the rule is you have to choose. That's rule number one. Number two, you can only choose one. Okay. You can only choose one. Number three is what you see is what you get. There's no justifying your choice or trying to amend your choice or trying to fix your choice. So if, for example, I say, would you rather have eyelashes or a nose that's shaped like a pot plant? There's no, I'll choose the nose because I can get plastic surgery. No. What you choose is what you choose forever. Are we okay with that? Okay. So... We're going to start with, would you rather lose your sense of taste? Now you can put it. Would you rather lose your sense of taste or lose your sense of smell? Okay, so we're going to take it by vote because, okay. So who would rather lose their sense of taste? You guys in food, eh? you'd rather lose your sense of taste. Who would rather lose their sense of smell? <laughs> Interest, please, there's no judgment here. I, well, I won't judge you. The person next to you might, but I won't judge your choice, okay? Okay, so your next choice is, would you rather walk barefoot forever or wear wet socks forever? Okay, so who says barefoot forever? Barefoot forever. Okay, who says baref um, wet socks forever? <laughs> you guys have never walked in wet socks, have you? <laughs> Yes. It's not in the middle? Oh, okay. Is that okay? 
Okay. All right, so next one is, would you rather have bad breath or bad body odor? Ah. <laughs> okay, so let's get the votes going. Who would rather have bad breath? <laughs> Who would rather have bad body odor? <laughs> okay, let's, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Would you rather live for God or die for God? <laughs> ah, okay, let's take the... Have to choose. You must pick. Would you rather live for God or would you rather die for God? It's simple. I could have other questions. Are they really... <laughs> this is why you see this conflict. This is why I'm here today. So let's see with a show of hands. Who would rather live for God? <laughs> okay, put your hands down. Who would rather die for God? It's too late, my brother. It's too late. Okay. Okay, we've got we've got two more. Who would you rather? Never be able to pray for unbelievers again, or never be able to pray for believers again. Never be able to pray for an unbeliever again. Like there's no prayers left for unbelievers. Or you can never pray for a believer again. So who would rather never pray for an unbeliever? Hi. <laughs> you guys are righteous. <laughs> Who would rather never pray for believers? I don't want to hear your justification. I don't want to hear. I'm just, I just want your choice, okay? And then the last one. Would you rather go to heaven but there's no Christ there? Or live in Christ but in a broken world? So, who wants to go to heaven? but there's no Christ, okay? And who wants to live with Christ in a broken world? I see, okay, interesting. So thank you for playing my game. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> the point of that game, the point of that game, my aim was not to judge your choices, but to show you that in almost every choice, there's a conflict. And the conflict that you're experiencing is on what you value, trying to determine what you value. Do you value the unbeliever or do you value the believer? Do you value heaven or do you value Christ? You, do you, you see what I'm saying? So, so the point of this was to, was to convince you, if you needed convincing, that we are in conflict, that we live in a state of conflict. And in psychology, that, that um, clash between of conflict is often caused by something called cognitive dissonance. Let's just say I threw some something there for you. Cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is when two opposing beliefs within the same individual clash. And you might think, oh that's not me, me, I know who I am, I know, you know, I know the way I'm going. But cognitive dissonance demands a choice. That's why I said you have to choose. When two opposing beliefs within an individual clash, it demands a choice. It's the proverbial, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. One, one has to give. 
That's the state of cognitive dissonance, and that's the state that we find ourselves in. In order for you not to have a mental breakdown when your two belief systems clash, you have to make a choice. And so very often as people who are born into this conflict, there's a, there's a choice between, or there's a dissonance, cognitive a dissonance, a lack of balance, right? Between what I know and what I see. So I know that God is good, but I see bad things happen. I know that God can heal, but I see sickness. I know that God can provide, but I haven't paid my rent. And so these two clashing ideals or systems or circumstances begin to, to war within you. That's, that's what we're talking about, conflict. It's a conflict between what I believe and how I live. I say I believe this, but I live as though I believe that. One of them has to give. So if the two, if, if what you believe and what you do don't match up, you're in a state of cognitive dissonance. You're in a state of conflict. It's a clash between what I want versus what others want. That's when you have conflict in relationships. I want to sleep. My husband wants to go out. Cognitive dissonance. Who wins? I want to get paid. I don't want to go to work. <laughs> Cognitive dissonance. It's a clash between what I want and what others want. There's a clash between what I want to do and what I actually do. The Bible actually sums up this conflict of me versus others and me versus me in Galatians that it's a fight between the spirit and the flesh. It's a conflict. What we are actually facing is a conflict between the spirit and the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do. Does that sound familiar? Paul gets very specific in the book of Romans, and he says, Romans chapter 7, he says, for I know nothing good dwells in me. Paul was going through, by the way. By the time he wrote Romans 7, he was going through it, right? Or he was expressing a time when he was going through it. And he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. Tell me if you can identify with Paul in this. He says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. He then he continues to say, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul paints this picture that I think many of us can identify with, where the, we, 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 he says, I, for I, I love the law of God. I love God. 
I love the things of God. I love church. I love worship. I love, I love God, but your life. And so life and God clash within you. And you find yourself in a state of conflict, of prolonged conflict, of conflict from the time that you were born. Who knows what the definition of, well, not the definition, who knows what one word for prolonged conflict is? <laughs> I like that. She says stress. It's war. When a country is in prolonged conflict, we say they're at war. You don't, you, you're not at war if you fought today and then you made up. But if you're in a constant state of conflict, then you're at war. So when, when the Bible says fight the good fight of faith, it's telling us that we're at war. It's not a singular fight. It's not a singular battle. It's a prolonged conflict. We are at war. So when I said we are born into conflict, what I should have said is we are born into war. Whether you acknowledge it or not, we are all soldiers at war. Have you ever had, a, had to fight a war that you know nothing about? You know, this, I don't know if it happens in your family, but in my family, sometimes you hear things like, because uh, my maiden name is Dakbo. The Dakbos don't mix with the Osseis. We, we don't do that. We don't visit them, they don't visit us. When you ask why, we don't know. Our parents just said, right? The Nubes don't marry <laughs> the Tumelos. They don't. They don't, we, they, we don't do reunions. Why? Why? Uh, it's always been that way. Or cousins that you grew up with, all of a sudden your mom says you don't go to that cousin's house or they don't come to your house and it carries on generation after generation after generation. Why are we fighting? Don't know. Fighting a conflict that you know nothing about will perpetuate that conflict. And so if we're going to be in this battle that God says we're going to be in, we're going to have to prepare for war. We're going to have to know the root of the conflict. We're going to know, have to know who we're fighting against. We're going to have to know what the weapons we need are going to be. And that's what the point of this entire series is, so that we can fight the good fight. So I isolated four things that we need to do in order to prepare for war. One, you need to know your enemy, right? Know your enemy. Do you fight a, a, when, if you fight and you don't know who you're fighting, you'll fight everybody correct? Know your enemy. Two, you need to plan your strategy. You don't just go in anyhow. You must have a strategy. Three, you must trust your commander. And four, you must execute your mandate. It doesn't matter. If you have a plan and you don't execute, if you have all the good intentions in the world and you don't execute, you're not going to be fighting a, fighting a winning battle anyway, correct? Are you with me so far? So now, as much as all these four are part of the toolkit of preparing for war, today we're going to focus only on one, the know your enemy part. And I don't mean know your enemy in the sense of this is going to be a demonology class, no. <laughs> I don't mean know your enemy in, in the sense of we're going to become obsessed with the devil and what the devil is doing, no. I'm talking about understanding why you are at war understanding the root of the conflict, the root of the turmoil in you when it comes to making a decision, when it comes to living for God, when it comes to, to, to dying to self for God. It's about understanding the root 
of the conflict. And so to understand where this conflict is, you need to go back to the beginning, and that is in Genesis. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, God speaks. He says, let there be light, and light was. And you begin to see this beautiful tapestry that, be that he begins to paint. He, he makes the trees, he makes the, the fish and the animals, and he, he puts the lights and he separates the sky and he creates this beautiful world and he creates this specifically beautiful garden and he, he fashions a man out of dust and he breathes his own life into this man and he speaks purpose and he speaks work and he speaks promises and he, and he walks with this man and has relationship with this man and he places him in the garden and tells him, work, right? And then he says, no, but this man is lonely. Ah, let me make a plan for him. And so he fashions a woman. He puts him to sleep and fashions a woman. And he gives them the mandate to go forth and multiply and have dominion over the earth. And then in chapter 3, we see trouble in paradise, very literally, where God has said to Adam and Eve, well, specifically to Adam, but you know, that's another story. But God, but God has said to Adam, you can eat anything. Think, guys, think about it. If I say, if I take you to your favorite restaurant and I say, you can eat anything you want. Eat, f no, no, no worries about cholesterol, no worries, just eat. Eat freely. But don't drink milk because you're lactose intolerant. Huh? Just don't drink milk. And then you go to the restaurant and you say, can I please have a glass of milk? That's what Eve does. So God said to him, you can have abundance. But because the enemy, because Satan in the, in the garden focuses, focuses her on what she perceives as lack, she submits and she takes off the fruit and she eats it and she falls. And in, in Genesis chapter 3, we see God coming into the garden. He's used to walking with them, right? He's used to hanging out with them in the cool of the day. And he's used to that, and, and they hid. The Bible says they hid from his presence. And he says, where are you? Why are you hiding? And they said, because we're naked and we're ashamed. And God says, how do you know that you're naked? Like, what do you, how, what do you know about that? And, and, and uh, Eve says, and, well, Adam says, the woman you gave me, <laughs> Right? You gave me the fire. She gave me the fruit and I ate. And God looks at the woman and he said, the snake you made is the one who tempted me. And then God says a very painful thing in verse 13 where he begins, where the, now because of their disobedience, because they ate of what God has said they shouldn't eat, there's a broken relationship. They're hiding from God, Right? And God says, I will put, what does he say I will put? I will put enmity. I'll put conflict. The result of our sin, of the, of the sin in the garden, is conflict. He says, I will put conflict between you and the woman. He's, he's talking to the serpent. He's talking to the, to the deceiver, right? And he says, I will put conflict between you and the woman and between, her offspring, between your offspring and, your, and her offspring, he will bruise your head and, you, will, and you, you shall bruise his heel. So God 
because of our sin, and in our sin, we put ourselves in conflict with God. And God puts us in conflict with the enemy. So here we are, conflict with God, conflict with the enemy. We live in perpetual conflict, in case you're not convinced. And the effect of that conflict is separation. First, we are, when, 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 we, when Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying, for all we know, God would have let them eat, eat later. We don't know. Because they didn't give the Lord a chance to do as he had planned for them. And so you see separation. You see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so you see a separation of the relationship that they had with God. That the, the effect of the conflict is a separation from relationship with God, and a separation from relationship with each other. We also see a separation from the purpose of God. God's purposes are, are eternal. God's purposes are forever, but you, you can disconnect from, from them. So they became disconnected from access to the purpose of God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, when, remember God created this garden. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. You with me? God created the garden. He took the man and he put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. But then Genesis 3, after the fall, Genesis 3 verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. The purpose of God to provide for him the ability to work and to work abundantly and to just have trees and, and, and plants and animals under his dominion is, separate, is, is, is destroyed and it's, it's broken at the fall. And so man finds himself in conflict with his environment where the land which was supposed to give him plenty, now he has to till it. And he can only gain from it by the sweat of his brow. The reason you have to go to work when you hate working is because you are in conflict with your environment. And it originated in the garden when Adam and Eve fell. We're separated from relationship. We're separated from, our, from, from the purpose of God. And finally, we are separated from his promises. When Adam gave freely, sorry, when God, what God gave Adam freely, the ability to get, he now has to work for. Genesis 1 verse 29, God says, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. That's Genesis 1. He says, I've given you everything. You can eat. I'm not saying you must be vegetarians. I'm just saying God, I'm saying God gave them freely in Genesis 1. 
But in Genesis 3, verse 17, it says, then, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat it, cursed is the ground that for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both, instead of, remember that God, his promise was, was herbs and fruit and seeds, correct? But in verse 18, he says, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so the promise of lavishness, the promise of provision, the, the promise of access to your need is broken at the fall. The conflict of separation from God. It sounds like bad news, doesn't it? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it does. It sounds like, it sounds like bad news. And it, but in Scripture, there's almost always an implied but God. If I was a Pentecostal preacher, I'd be saying, but, like, you, you know, you get excited, but God. Like, it, it excites me because it doesn't even have to, in, when you're reading through the Bible, it doesn't have to say the words, but God. But there's an implied, but God. There's an implied action from God that has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with Adam and Eve. It has nothing to do with, can I earn my way back into the garden? Can I somehow finesse this land so that it, pro it provides me fruit? There's a but God that comes only from God. And it's an act of love that God takes even when circumstances are hopeless. I want to go back to Romans chapter 7 where Paul was describing that conflict. And I stopped where he said, woe is me to paint you the picture of the desperate situation that we find ourselves in when we're in conflict. But in Romans chapter 7, verse 22 to 24, where we just came back from, remember the conflict that Paul is talking about. He says, for I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans chapter 7, verse 25, he says, thanks be to God. Through whom? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul asks the question. Paul sets the scene and says, Lord, I am a wretched man. The good I want to do, I don't have the ability to do. When I set my mind to, to live for God, I end up falling into sin. I'm, I wrestle within me to make choices that will glorify you. I am wretched, oh God. I don't know how to do this life thing. Who is going to save me? And he answers himself. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Remember that when the scripture is written, it's not divided into chapters and verses the way we have divided them into chapters and verses. They're letters, so they read right through, okay? Romans is a letter. It reads right through. So there's no division between chapter 7, verse 25, and verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1. And chapter 8, verse 1 starts like this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, remember that it's a war between the flesh and the spirit, 
The war of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By what? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What is God saying there? He's saying this is a picture of who you are, Vivian. This is a picture of who you are, Dee. He says you are separated from relationship with me. You are separated from my purpose for your life. You are separated from the purposes that I have, from the promises that I have made to you. And there is absolutely nothing you can do to get back into the garden. But God, in his mercy, sends forth his son. And it says God did what, not, what the law could not do in that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die and to pay the penalty and to pay the cost of that separation. Now, you might think, oh, but Vivian, you're reading that in Romans. Can you show it to me in the, New, in, in the Old Testament where the curse first happened? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. In the very verse where, where the curse comes down, where God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman he, and between your offspring and her offspring, he, he also says, and his, her offspring will bruise your head. I think it's finished, right? Like, I mean, what else is there to say? At the time of our fall, he already made a provision. At the time of our weakness, he already brought strength. So it's, 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 it's literally as simple as saying to God, I can't, I can't get back into the garden. I'm separated. I'm separated. I can't get back into the garden. There's nothing I can do to get me back into purpose, back into promise, back into relationship. But I see what you have done in Jesus Christ. I see, excuse me, <coughs> that you have sent your son to come and redeem. So now, if that is the truth for you, and you have applied the crushing of the enemy's head to your life, then the good news is that word fight the good fight applies to you. Because you're no longer fighting from brokenness. You're no longer fighting from separation. You're no longer fighting from, from a lack of purpose. You're no longer uh, fighting from outside the promises of God. Through Christ, you've been grafted back in. And so the reason God says is a good fight, the only good fight I know of is one that I've won. That's the only good fight there is. If you come and beat me, I'm not going to say that it was a good fight. So the reason Paul is able to say to Timothy, fight the good fight is because there's a spoiler alert already. From Genesis, he made a spoiler alert that I will, in the fullness of time, I will send my son, Jesus Christ. He will take on your mistake. He will take on your punishment. He will take on your sin. And you will win. My husband likes to play 
games like the one that we saw at the beginning of the sermon on, on the computer. And there's something that's always fascinated me about watching those games, is that sometimes I would watch and I see him losing. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, why are you always losing? <clears throat> and his answer is, sometimes you will lose the battle, but there's a strategy to win the war. Just because you've struggled, just because you've messed up a few times, just because you've lost a few battles, I, I promise you, if you are in Christ, you'll win the war. But you have to stay in the fight. You don't walk away from God like, hey, I've fought and nothing is happening, nothing is changing, and so that's it. You stay in the fight because sometimes you have to give up battles in order to win the war. And church, I just want to say to you that maybe, maybe you're here and you've never been brought back into the garden. Maybe you're here and you're still separated from relationship with God. Maybe you're here and you're still separated from the purpose that God has for your life. Maybe you're here and you cannot tap into the promises of God. You can't stand up bold in his presence and say, Lord, you said that I am the head and not the tail. Father, you said that you will provide. Lord, you said by your stripes I'm healed. You cannot come before him and say, Lord, I trust you. There's a way for you that he made even in Genesis 3. And all you have to say to him is, I'm here, Lord, and I want the connection. And maybe you're here and you have been connected, but you live as though you are outside of relationship. You live as though you have no purpose. You live as though the King of kings and Lord of lords is not your everything. All it takes is to go back to God and say, I see the provision that you have made. I want to fight the good fight. And so I'm going to give us an opportunity this morning that everybody would just bow their heads and close their eyes. And if one of those two is you, just raise your hand real quick and put it back down. I will not ask you to come up here because I want you to be responsible for whatever God is saying in your heart. But I want to pray for you. So if you bow your head down and you say, I want that relationship or I want a restoration of that relationship, just raise your hand, I'll say a prayer. And then it's up to you to seek out somebody to walk with you. I see your hand, thank you. I see your hand, thank you. I see you, thank you, I see you, thank you. I see you, I see you back there, thank you. Father, you see these hearts that are lifted up to you. Father, you see these hearts, Father God, that are thirsty for you in one way or the other. And Lord, leaving here, they might not know what comes next, but I thank you that you are doing the work and not us. I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive them of their sin. I pray that you would renew the way they think, that you would change the things they like, that you would grow in them so that they would begin to love you. I pray, Father, that you would forgive them when they were turning left when you told them to turn right. I pray, Father, that you would set their feet and root them, Father God, that you will stabilize them in you, O oh God. Father, that you would remind them of your victory, O oh God. I pray, Lord God, and I thank you for the forgiveness of sin. I thank you for restoring us into relationship.
I thank you for restoring us into your purpose. I thank you for restoring us into your promises. And I pray for those who have raised their hands this morning that you will not let them go until you have poured out your spirit on them. That you will not let them go until they see you face to face, until they encounter you, until they, they walk with you, until they're comfortable with you, Lord God, until they can walk into your presence boldly, knowing that you love them, that you've chosen them, that you've made provision for them. I thank you for them, Lord God. I pray that you would give them courage to seek help. And I pray, Father God, that even in this time, as they've dedicated themselves to you, Lord God, that you would protect them from the enemy, Lord God, that you would give them this incubation time so that they can just drink you in and that their spirits can be, can be fed by you, that they can gain strength so that when they lift up their heads, they can continue the good fight. I thank you for victory, oh God. I thank you that it's already won. I thank you that you've done it all. And we receive it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.